Welcome back to the Traders Point Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. Each week, we open up the Bible for just a few minutes and discuss God's Word together. We discuss its meaning and the ways in which we can apply it in our walk as followers of Christ. If you'd like more information about the Traders Point Church of Christ, you can visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please take just a second to do that so you can stay up to date on all of the content that's put out on this channel. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy today's conversation. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us this week. We're in Mark chapter 9. If you've been following along with us, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark over the past several weeks, and this week we're going to be in chapter 9. I'm going to tell you before we begin that Mark chapter 9 is a huge undertaking to try to study through and talk through in 20 to 25 minutes. And by no means are we going to do an adequate job of talking about everything that there is to talk about in Mark chapter 9. So with that, I want to encourage you, if you have the opportunity to do so, to read this chapter on your own. It is full of some very rich teaching and a lot of important events that take place. And Jeremy and I are going to do our best to try and talk through some of those things and hit on the highlights. But as I mentioned, there's just so much in this chapter that it's going to be really difficult to spend the appropriate amount of time on each aspect of this chapter. So do yourself a favor, read Mark chapter 9 sometime this week. And Jeremy, with that kind of introduction to this chapter, we want to make sure we pick up everybody where we left off because chapter 9 really begins right where the last part of that conversation in chapter 8 took place. And so as we get into chapter 9, maybe just bring us up to speed so that everybody's in the same place as we begin this chapter. Well, we've talked multiple times already through the you know the book of Mark, where Mark he does a great job of painting the picture of Jesus and just how busy he is. And he continues to do that even in chapter 9. He'll continue to talk about the incredible multitudes that are following uh, Jesus and his disciples around, and, and he'll continue to do that. But you've, we've seen really over the past couple of chapters a shift in, uh, in the way that Mark is showcasing Jesus and his story from uh, the miracles, which we'll continue to see, but really ramping up his teaching, and really specifically his preparation for his disciples. Yep. He's already made mention of the fact that he's going to be killed uh, and raise, and be raised. He's made mention of that. He'll do that again. And so it seems as if he's really focusing on what's next. Uh, we'll talk about the transfiguration, a hugely important piece specifically for Peter, James, and John. We've just left off with Peter and the confession that he uh, he throws out of understanding who Christ is, and Jesus is going to kind of build upon that. But also in this chapter, you made mention, there is high-level teaching in a practical way that Jesus throws out in this chapter, and it really is a chapter of teaching, but yet at the same time, Mark still talks about how busy he is. <laughs> he still gives us uh, Jesus and the incredible power with which he operated with, and so you still get some of those very similar things you know, happening here in this chapter. Yeah, we see at the very outset of this chapter, Jesus makes this very well-known statement as he's talking to the disciples, assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And so there is almost a, a prophecy of sorts, a foretelling 
that Jesus is giving to the disciples, that, that there is coming this great kingdom, and many of you here with me are going to see that. And of course, we can see that unfold as we follow the, the story throughout the rest of Jesus' ministry, certainly on the day of Pentecost and in the days to follow as, as the church begins. We get to see the unfolding of this uh, in those events. But certainly, this is one of those statements that likely many of the disciples in that moment aren't fully going to understand. They're not, they're not fully going to grasp the, the levity of what he's saying here. And, and yet we can now read this and we can see it in all it's intended. Uh, but we're even going to see, you know, as we get into the transfiguration, we've seen this already with, with several of the disciples. They, they're drinking from a fire hydrant here. I mean, they, they just, so much of this goes over their heads or they're not fully grasping everything that there is to grasp. And I, I'm sure this is one of those statements as Jesus predicting his death is to as well. Uh, these types of statements uh, are difficult for them to fully grasp, but, but certainly as we have the benefit of seeing it all, we can see uh, just how powerful of a statement this is. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we at the very end of chapter 8, I made mention of, of Peter's confession of who Jesus is, but he, he certainly doesn't fully understand all that that entails no. because not uh, seemingly as soon as he gets that statement out of his mouth, he is in ignorance, really, making another statement that Jesus rebukes him for. Yep. And then even here at the beginning of this chapter, as Jesus makes this statement, certainly about uh, the kingdom, and I, I think you're right on the money about the prophetic nature of that. But yet here in the, at the beginning of this chapter, when he's up on the mountain and he is transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and they're able to physically see this happening, but yet they exhibit a, a misunderstanding yeah. in, in a pretty profound kind of ways. And so they are really... I mean, you're on the drinking from a fire hose is, is on the button here. I mean, they are taking in so much. And I think in a lot of ways they're doing the very best that they can yeah, do. Yeah, no question. And, um, and it's just it's an incredible scene that unfolds here at the beginning uh, that they would have really, I think, had a hard time of grasping, you know, all that it entails in it. But if for you and I, when we're able to have the whole picture given mm-hmm. to us, we can read uh, this story and really have an understanding of what Jesus and certainly God the Father was trying to get across. Well, if we think they had a hard time understanding that statement, let's dive into the trans. Transfiguration, and we're really going to see a, a situation that they were struggling to, to fully grasp. You you referenced that this is a situation where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, who who kind of are Jesus's three closest friends uh, among the apostles, and he takes them with him up onto a mountain, and and we're told that he is transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white and and then Elijah and Moses appear before them and I think my, my favorite my favorite verse in this whole story is is verse six where you know Peter makes the statement like we should build tabernacles for all three of these verse six because he just didn't know what to say you know he, he didn't know what to say about that. I mean, and and I'm trying to put myself in his shoes I wouldn't know what to say either I mean you are seeing something in front of your eyes that even 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 with all of Jesus's miracles that he has performed everything that he has done nothing has risen to this level 
and you're watching all of this unfold, and they are just dumbfounded. They don't know what to say as they are watching this before them. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mark, in kind of a, 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 just a bullet point in newspaper almost kind of way, he says there in verse 4 that Elijah appears with them with Moses, and they're talking with Jesus. And so, yeah, you're right. Peter sees that, and he he doesn't he doesn't know what to what to say about it. And the the verse that you made reference to there in verse six is he didn't know he's fearful of this whole scenario. And if you thought he was fearful of Jesus having a conversation with Moses and Elijah, in the very next verse, we're told that a cloud comes and overshadows all of that, and God Himself, the Father, speaks yeah. out of that cloud. So if you think they were fearful. <laughs> Uh, of what they were witnessing uh, now, what it is they're hearing, but it is the profound statement the, of God, you know, it, it, confessing who, mm-hmm. he, who he is, very similar uh, to what happens at uh, at the baptism of Jesus. But it, it's God stating that, you know, this this is my son, the son of God. Yeah, to think about being on that mountain and seeing all of that. And then verse 8, it's just over. Yeah. Like, that's it. It's gone. Everything's gone, and everything's back to normal, just like that. And, I mean, I can only imagine the faces of, of Peter, James, and John as they're standing up on this mountain at, at the conclusion of all of this, just wondering what they just saw and heard and what just happened. And, I mean, to to be, you know, a fly on the wall and to hear what Jesus and Elijah and Moses would have been talking about in this moment or to hear what that voice would have sounded like, I mean, it would have been more than anything that we can really comprehend. But I think sometimes we can we can sometimes get so caught up in all of that that we miss what you were just talking about a moment ago, that all of this was done, I think, leading us to this statement that God makes that that this is my beloved son, hear him. There there has been a lot of confusion around Jesus and, and who he is. And some have called him Elijah. Some have thought that it was Elijah reincarnate. Others have thought of him as a prophet. And so now they see right before them, well, he's not Elijah because there's Elijah. He's not Moses. There's Moses. You know, Jesus is standing alone. And here God then reinforces the fact that, no, this is my son, He's not one of the prophets. He's not Elijah. This is my son. And so it's a very profound statement that's really helpful to the apostles who are there. Yeah, and one other thing I really like about this story, because we've seen it multiple times already in Mark, and we've talked about it, where, where Jesus would perform or, or people would witness, be witness of some incredible feat. Uh, that Jesus would uh, perform it, it by way of a miracle, and, and he would mention to them, don't don't say anything to anybody about this. But inevitably, they're talking to everybody yeah, about it. Right. And I think this story kind of showcases the just the sheer level of fear, really, that Peter, James, and John had because Jesus tells them, "Listen, don't don't say anything to anybody about this." And then Mark says, "They don't. <laughs> they don't say anything to anybody." I mean, it's the you know, I'm sure they were you know what you know what what happened up there that they were. Listen, I, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to talk about yeah, what happened right. up there. And, and it is it, it, the the moment and the significance of the moment. Certainly yeah. for Peter, James, and John, and the significance for us as we're studying through the life of Jesus really plays a pretty important. Role. Yeah, I mean, everybody would have thought they were crazy if they started talking about this. But to your point, this was really important for those three men, and it's really important for us today to to just be reminded of who Jesus is. And why he came. There's also some allusion that's given towards the end of this. He talks about Elijah, um, probably referencing back to John the Baptist and the role that he played. Mm -hmm. 
In Matthew chapter 17, we're given a little bit more information about that. Obviously, we have the prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 about John the Baptist coming in the form of Elijah. And so there's some reference to that towards the end of this part of chapter 9. But but in an effort to try and keep us moving, again, I referenced at the outset how much is in this chapter, so we just spent five minutes on the transfiguration. But the, the stories continue, and, and the disciples come back together after this, and we're told that once again there's a great multitude uh, around them. And, and this time there's an issue because the, the disciples are, are having a conversation as Jesus kind of walks up to them, and they're having a, a conversation about this boy and about this demon-possessed boy and the, the problems that it's causing. And the disciples apparently have been unable to cast out this demon. We already know that Jesus had given them the power to cast out demons, but they were unable to in this situation, and they were having a conversation about why and what's going on, and Jesus walks up. And of course, what we see then following is his power in all of this. Uh, But he brings to light an important point in verse number 19, where he says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. He's clearly... He's clearly exhibiting a level of disappointment here as to their inability to cast out this demon. And I think he's going to reference kind of why that is as the story goes on. But this particular healing that we're going to see here is different than some of the other ones that we've seen thus far. Yeah, I mean, it, this the whole section really hinges on... The, the, this idea of belief and the power that can come along with it. And now it becomes a really certainly practical point for the, the disciples who were there. But, but even for us, as we're trying to think through, you know, just the, the power that comes with a, rela- a relationship with God and really believing that he can do all things or that all things are possible. And so you have there in verse 23, if you can believe all things are possible to him who has who, who believes, and you know sometimes we read a passage like that and we're looking for uh, the caveats or we're looking for the the boundaries or the parameters, mm-hmm. and yet not just here in this passage but in other places there's just simply no parameters there, no. and that is showcasing the level. Uh, of uh, of power that can come with when you're in a relationship with God, and, and that's what he's trying to get the disciples to understand is that th- this is something that sh- you should have been able to do, but you have to be- believe that yeah. it can happen. And, and you're right; it, it was a light rebuke, I think, from Jesus. Yeah, um, that he you know that he lays down on this on the disciples here. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. That, you know, obviously Jesus then casts out this demon, and and it does appear just in the way that Mark tells this story that there is a level of severity with this boy and with this particular demon that is unique, perhaps, to some of the other ones that they've seen and encountered. And and Jesus says in verse twenty nine that this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And so there's almost, when you combine that with what you read there in verse 23 about belief, there's there's an indication here that the apostles could have cast out this demon, but we've already seen from them that they struggle at times with faith, and they struggle at times with fully comprehending everything that's taking place around them. And Jesus is making the point that when that faith wanes or when your belief wanes, 
there's going to have ramifications as a result of that. And in this particular situation, one of the consequences was that they were not able to do what Jesus had given them the power to do. And it really puts a spotlight on just how important it is, even for us, and not so much when it comes to you know demon possession and that type of thing, but just the importance of faith and the importance of belief and making sure that our faith is strong, making sure that our belief is strong, and recognizing the power that lies within that. I think that's really the application for, for us today, anyway, as we read this story. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. And, you know, you, it, it, this is, we've talked already about the size of this chapter. I mean, there's just yeah. so much, you know, going on. And he talks about all of these things, pretty heavy things. And, and right after this, you know, whole thing takes place, he, he lays on them again, you know, basically the statement that, listen, I'm going to be delivered into the hands, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised again on the third day. And, and he, he continues to kind of toss this these things out. And, you know, I, I love verse 32 is so real to yeah. me. I mean, it, it is yeah. it, it comes across as so honest yeah. about the whole situation. You know, after he says this there in verse 32, it says, they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him about it. <laughs> And I mean, it, it, that is the most honest and real yep. place that they find themselves in. And I think that's why Jesus knows, especially as he gets closer to the end, how important these teaching moments are going to be with his disciples, his, the apostles in particular, because of the role that they're going to play and how quickly he's going to have to move them from here to the place that they're going to, in essence, need to be, you know, by the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, because I mean, one of the issues that we find as as this, this chapter unfolds, you get down to verse 33, and we don't know exactly how much time necessarily has passed from when he makes this statement in verse 31. They're continuing on their journey. But he makes the statement about his impending death and those that are going to kill him and his resurrection. And the next thing that we're told in this story is that the disciples are arguing among themselves who is the greatest. So clearly, there's a disconnect. They're not fully comprehending the fact that Jesus the Messiah is going to be crucified. And what does that mean? And then he's going to raise from the dead. And, and what are the implications of all of that? It's difficult for them to get out of the me mindset. Mm-hmm. All of us struggle with that at certain times. But even the apostles were struggling with that as Jesus is making these very profound statements about his impending death. Their thoughts go to who's the greatest among us. And it's a very it's a very human progression, but it's a very unfortunate one because in the midst of this teaching where they should have really been diving into what Jesus had to say, their minds were focused uh, you know on themselves, on the carnal aspect of life. And so Jesus now has to address this dispute that they're having among themselves. yeah, and, and as as he is a master teacher, I mean, he does so with that understanding of them needing a lesson on humility, yep. and he provides really an object lesson for them. Instead of just speaking to them, he, he provides an object lesson about the little children. He brings yep. one to them, he, he, you know, he sets it there in the midst of them, and, and he makes the point, and the point is to be made about humility, that, listen, you are arguing about these senseless things. You need to have more of a mindset of this, as this child is there sitting in the midst of them. And, I mean, that would have been a sobering object 
as he sets this child in the midst of them and says, you need to be more like this child. Mm -hmm. But certainly the point is on humility, which in this moment they are struggling mightily with. Jesus will use little children at different times Mm -hmm. as examples for how he wants his followers to to behave. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've thought so much about that over the years, especially as I've had, you know, little children now as they they get a little bit older there is there is a purity to little children there is an eagerness to learn and a hunger for knowledge in little children and that's what Jesus wants from us he doesn't want us walking around arguing over who knows the most or who's the best or who's the most important he wants us excited about learning more about him he wants us eager to to see what's next and to follow him and to be amazed by what he's doing and and just have that innocence of a little child as we follow him. And it's so easy to lose that, especially the older we get, where we become more self-centered and more self-focused uh, towards our towards our own abilities and our own comprehension. We lose sight of the simplicity of Jesus' teaching and his desire for us to approach it in a humble way, as you pointed out, and in an eager way to just learn as much as we can and to soak up as much from him as we possibly can. That's what he's wanting from his followers. Instead, they're arguing over who's the greatest. And that's the problem that they face. It's one that still is prevalent in our society today. And and I think, you know, where ultimately the end of this chapter goes is Jesus trying to paint the picture of, listen, if this is the kind of mindset that you're going to hold to, there's uh, there's there's disaster that comes yeah, from that. Yeah. And, I, and I think he, he moves to try to paint the picture that, listen, if this is the kind of thinking that you're going to do, this level of selfishness, if this is the kind of, you know, you, you've got you to get rid of that. And there's an urgency of adjusting that attitude. Yep. And I think here at the very end of the chapter certainly is what he points to. Yeah, I mean, he, he makes the point, you know, in verse 42 Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. You know, there there is a, a power that comes with being in a position of influence that the apostles obviously had. There's also a great deal of responsibility that comes with that. And, and Jesus warns them, and I think in essence warns us today, that we, when you have been around Christ, when you have heard the teaching of the gospel— you have a responsibility to be stewards of that and to do so with with a carefulness that makes sure you never put yourself in a position of causing someone else to stumble. We want to be ones who bring others to Christ, not ones who, who put stumbling blocks in front of people. But to go all the way back up to, to verse 33 there in that section, if we're so busy talking about who's the greatest, who's the best, who, who does this the best— we're going to be a stumbling block to others coming to Christ. And so the disciples have to learn that that their responsibility of teaching the gospel and spreading the good news of Christ comes with the responsibility of putting your own desires and your own selfish needs to the side and having that humility that welcomes others to Christ, not causing anyone to stumble. And it's a really, really heavy responsibility, as we can see with the language that Jesus uses here. It's definitely not something to be taken lightly. No, and I mean, that you're right. I mean, it is the language. When he gets to the, listen, if you have a hand or a leg or a foot or whatever that's causing you to sin, uh, you, you got to cut that thing off. And, and so you have this very visual 
language that's used here, you know, by Jesus, just simply painting the picture of uh, of that kind of attitude, those kinds of thoughts, that kind of thinking and living, it's got to be rooted out, and it's got to be rooted out immediately. And if it doesn't, there's huge consequences that's going to come into play. And, and so you have Jesus, you know, teaching on hell, and yeah. and he teaches Jesus teaches on hell more than anyone else in Scripture, and he's painting the picture of the destruction of really this kind of thinking and the urgency that it it's going to take to get rid of it. Yep. Well, we'll go ahead and stop there. There you go. Mark chapter nine and twenty five minutes. How about that? Uh, we appreciate everybody joining us. I know it may have been a little bit longer than usual, and certainly um, we probably overlooked a lot of very important aspects of Mark chapter 9. We did our best to keep it within our time frame. So thank you all for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week.